Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Okay, today we, uh, we're going to step away from our Revelation series and um, come and uh, just think about mothers today and uh, see the way the gospel works in the hearts and lives of mothers to um, actually see the love and compassion of Christ working through mothers. So we're going to look at that today. But before we get there, just to help us think about that, uh, who's heard of the food label Heinz? 57 variety, is that sort of their thing? Well, Henry J. Hines uh, is the, the maker of the 57 varieties. And uh, when he was um, uh, dying, he actually had this in his will uh, written out at the start. And it says this in this confession of part of his will for Henry J. Hines. He says, Looking forward to the time when my earthly career will end, I desire to set forth at the very beginning of this will as the most important item in it, a confession of my faith in Jesus Christ as my Saviour. I also desire to bear witness to the fact that throughout my life, in which there were unusual joys and sorrows, I've been wonderfully sustained by my faith in God through Jesus Christ. This legacy was left me by my consecrated mother, a woman of strong faith, and to it I attribute any success I have attained. What a beautiful picture, hey? Uh, a bloke like that, to, hey, it was my mum who actually influenced me in my life to follow Jesus. Today we do want to thank God for mothers and the contribution they make in our lives to help us see Jesus. Got your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 23 and we're going to read just a short passage. That doesn't mean it's going to be a short sermon though, it's just going to be a short passage and then uh, we'll begin to open that up. So Matthew chapter 23 verse 37 through to 39, we're going to read that together. Starting in verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Father, we thank you today that we can come and gather around your word. We ask and pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would come and speak through this word that you've inspired Matthew to record for us 2,000 years ago. Particularly as we think about mothers, help us to see the love and compassion of Christ coming out through mothers as we look at this passage today. Father, we ask that, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So do we want to touch today on the loving and passion of Jesus and reflect that through our mothers here, particularly on Mother's Day. I think it's a wonderful thing that we do celebrate God's created order through mothers. And I think it's a good thing that our community and culture do that as well, to actually highlight you know, the wonderful thing that mothers are. Now, it may well be an event that retail and hospitality cash in on to try and achieve as much as they possibly can, uh, getting our dollars off us. But I still believe it's a really good thing for us to stop and think about our mothers and all they've done for us and continue to do for us as well. And if you've got a lunch plan, that's great. 
do that, enjoy that, and, and support the businesses around us uh, here as well. Uh, I've experienced a wonderful mother, and I'm married to a beautiful mother as well. Uh, my mother, Anne Hall, which we've got a photo there. Um, that's my daughter, Bree, on her side, and that's my nephew, Wade, my sister's son there. Uh, my mother, Anne Hall, has given me a, a wonderful memories of growing up. I remember coming out in the mornings. Uh, to get ready for school and she'd have a hot breakfast cooking on the stove. It could be a pot of porridge or it could be egg sandwiches. We're very he- good for me, a bit of protein as you're going out of the bus stop on the way there. Mum would do that often. Uh, Mum was always there to celebrate our birthdays with lots of fun and food. Uh, my birthdays were a bit of a hit for all my friends. They couldn't wait to come to my birthday party because Mum would always put a massive spread on for birthdays. Mum was a faithful follower of Jesus as well. And I have many memories of her serving diligently in the church and across many areas. So it was just wonderful memories, again, seeing mum do that. Uh, she had a real heart to mentor um, teenage girls that had come from broken homes. So it was just not an uncommon thing to get home at night and here's another teenage girl in the house and she's going to stay for one or two nights until she sort of helps get things organised. So my mum was doing that all the time. And they were great memories as well. We thought, well, who's going to be home tonight when we turn up sort of thing? It was a bit like that. Now, mum wasn't perfect. Uh, she was too soft and she would allow us to get away with things we probably shouldn't have got away with at times and probably should have disciplined us a bit more, but my dad used to make up for that, okay? So it was, there was a nice balance there working between them both. But overall, mum was a mother who often exem- uh, exampled love and compassion towards us as her children. And this is where we want to go today. Um, despite horrendous hardships that we can face in this world, uh, Jesus endured, that Jesus endured from people, he still showed in the midst of these challenges love and compassion and longing to gather people to himself. He still uh, longed to show this love and compassion towards people to gather them to himself. Let's have a look at this passage now as we begin to see that happening. So when reading any passage in the Bible, uh, it always must be read in its context. So verses 37 and 39 don't sort of just fall out of the sky and here they are. Uh, They're actually connected to something else. There's a backstory here for why Jesus comes out and says what he says here in verses 37 and 39. If you read through all of Matthew 23 leading up to this point, you'll see that Jesus uses some of the strongest sayings of all his recorded sayings through the New Testament. There's like seven times here that Jesus says, woe to these scribes and these Pharisees that are gathered around him at this time. And even in this passage leading up to verses 37-39, Jesus calls these Pharisees and these scribes hypocrites, blind guides. He calls them snakes at one stage as well. Now, just to give a little bit of context there, the Pharisees and the scribes were the religious elite of the society around about him who were in love with their form and tradition of religion, but not the God who actually gives them life. They knew the Old Testament really, really well, but they used it for their own personal means to just build up their own nest egg, as it were, and gain financially. These guys, the Pharisees and the scribes, had no real and vital relationship with God. It was all form and tradition and nothing else. They loved the power, the prestige, and the prosperity that came from being in the priesthood, as it were, or in the in the game or in the business, in their mind, but they never truly represented God the way they should have and the way they were charged to do it. Never did that. What they did do was was misrepresent God so badly, they actually kept people out of God's kingdom. 
Now, if we just pop back to Matthew 23, 13, we'll see that there. It says, is Jesus one of these woes? But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. So they were just putting this religion out there, form and tradition, it was all about them. Stuffy, puffed up group of legalistic religious good-doers, do-gooders, who were only concerned about themselves and how they could actually gain as much power and financial gain as possible. The Pharisees and the scribes hated Jesus, hated Jesus. Jesus, through speaking the truth to them, uh, exposed their falseness and their greedy agenda. They hated him with an intensity. Uh, They saw Jesus as a major disruption to their selfish plans and even their cosy agenda that they had with the Roman occupiers at the time to keep actually uh, gaining in power and financial uh, prosperity as well. Hated Jesus so much that these scribes and Pharisees wanted Jesus dead. They wanted to kill him. That sort of gives the background for these scribes and Pharisees and some of the language there. You might think, gee, does Jesus use this strong language because he doesn't like them? Is this his way of getting back at them? No, not at all. Not at all. Jesus was not like that in the slightest. Jesus uses this strong language leading up to verses 37-39 in the hopes that this language will awaken these Pharisees and these scribes and awaken them from their stubborn, rebellious heart of living for themselves and living for the form and tradition and not a real relationship. Now sometimes, for some people who are extremely hard-hearted, you do need to speak more directly to them. Hopefully the message might get across. If you speak fairly softly, if they don't hear it, but you actually call a spade a spade, maybe. So that's what Jesus is doing here. They rejected Jesus. They rejected the purposes of God's salvation and they really didn't want anything at all to do with him whatsoever. That's the scene here in the backdrop of what's taking place. So what are the results then of trying to live without God and rejecting his purposes, which is what these Pharisees and these scribes were doing, living for themselves. Well, Jesus tells us here in this passage how that's going to end up, what that's going to be like. Jesus utters this deep cry at the start of verse 37 here, uh, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, and then he shows this response right at the very end of the verse, and he says, and you were not willing, and you were not willing. Very chilling words as we hear that. And then in verse 38, we see the outcome of this choice of their unwillingness to come to God and follow him. And it says in verse 38, see, see Jerusalem, see people, your house is left to you desolate, desolate. Sad picture, really sad picture when you think about that. I was thinking about that as I was um, preparing through the week and, and I got this sort of picture in my mind of these homes that you can sometimes see in, on the country roads in the outback somewhere and they're just abandoned, they're left. The form and the shape of the home is there as you drive by but it's cold, it's dead, it's lifeless and you imagine the wind would be whistling through those empty barren houses and there'd be sort of despair written on every wall sort of metaphorically speaking there. Desolate. See, your house is desolate. Really, this is the picture of every human heart that isn't made alive to Jesus Christ. It's a picture of desolation. 
We seek to know life in all of its fullness. We seek to find life. We seek to grow in life. We look for purpose and meaning in all the world that it has to offer apart from God. Seeking and looking for that. We seek happiness. We may seek health. We may seek wealth. Trying to discover, is this where life is? But are doing this apart from God. And when we do that apart from God as the meaning of life, all we find is really cheap imitations. We just find like little puffs of air to sort of keep us going for just a little bit longer. Again, I've read through countless stories of sports stars who've, who've done this. They've made it to the top in winning in their premierships or their um, chosen sport and they've actually achieved all you can achieve. And they get to the top and it just doesn't last. Sometimes just a few days later after winning what they've been striving and training for for the last six months, nine months, 12 months, they get there and they say, is this it? Is this it? Is this what I've gone for? And they feel drained and empty as actually looking on for life again in these areas. It's a picture of desolation. This is what Jesus is saying. When you live life apart from me trying to seek all these things out, see your house, says Jesus is left desolate. That's what Jesus says when you reject the purposes of God, your house or your life is less desolate. It's, it's a ruined and abandoned wasteland here. When we step outside of our Creator's design, we're like people trying to drink as we're looking for fresh water, but we actually open the nearest sewer pipe and we try and sustain ourselves on that. It's going to be left barren and wasted. This isn't, though, where Jesus wants to leave them. This isn't where Jesus wants to leave us, as it were, scrounging around in this howling wasteland, wandering around aimlessly looking for life. Jesus doesn't want us to be left in that position. What Jesus wants us to see here is the love and compassion that he has towards all people to truly let them into what real life is all about, life in him. Even for those who sinfully reject him and his truth, he still reaches out with love. He still calls out to those ones who are looking for it in every other place, except him. And Jesus reveals that here in verse 37 of this passage. He cries out there, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem. I can't give that anywhere near the impact that it needs, but what it is, it's it's a cry of lament. It's actually a cry of pain. It's a cry of anguish that's coming from Jesus here as he does this. He He then likens this to a mother hen, who who longs to gather her brood under her wings for protection. He says, oh, how I'd have liked to just, as a hen would gather her chicks under, oh, how I'd like to gather you as my children. You can see this, as it were, this cry coming out out of the heart of Christ. It's like Jesus saying, this is what I've been trying to do for you, my people. I've been trying to gather you under my wings. I've been trying to protect you from the enemy of sin and death to come and to find your shelter in me as your king, as your saviour, as your rescuer. Now, the interesting thing here in, in what Jesus does, he doesn't run away here from using these direct and I guess uncomfortable words in the confronting the sin and dealing strongly with it with these Pharisees and scribes. But this is why this passage at the end here is so really important because what it does, it reflects his love and compassion basically in the same breath. 
speaking to these scribes and Pharisees in such a strong way, but then he comes out with this love and compassion to show us here these beautiful pictures of who he really is. Yes, direct words of judgment to these scribes and Pharisees, but then this love and compassion straight on top of that, with that. And it's really important that we see Jesus like that. Yes, he will be a judge, but he's a judge who's filled with holiness, but also tender love and compassion and mercy as well. Now, look at Jesus says about himself in Matthew 11, earlier in this book. He says this in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's a beautiful picture of Christ, the compassion of Jesus, the lowliness of Jesus, the one who identifies with us, the one who comes to us in our deepest, darkest needs. It's the compassion of him. How does he protect us? He wants to get, he longed to gather the children just like a hen gathers its chicks under its wing. How does Jesus protect us? How does he, what does he do here? Well, Jesus is only a few days or weeks after the scene about to walk the road to Calvary. He's about to carry that heavy wooden cross, carrying uh, the cross, uh, carrying our guilt and our shame and our condemnation as he walks up to Calvary's hill. What's he about to do? He's about, he's about to take our punishment that we deserve. He's about to protect us from God's right wrath of judgment towards our sin. That is how he protects us. That is how he nurtures us. Jesus is about to pour out his love and compassion right at the cross, the very pinnacle of his life here, calling us to come to him to find that protection that he offers us at the cross through his life and death for our sins. But look again at those last words in verse 37. As he's calling out to them, say, oh, how I long to gather you. He has these words there, and you were not willing. You were not willing. Doesn't that rip your heart out when you hear that? Doesn't that cause like a pain that goes through your soul when such love is rejected, when we know the full story that's taken place there? It's like, Jesus, I've come. I would long to gather you, but you're not willing. You don't want to come. You're rejecting me. Isn't this the love and compassion that all humans long for, this perfect love and this perfect compassion that Jesus offers? And we can experience so much rejection and pain in this world that we may even forget what this true love and compassion looks like. But here it has been exemplified by Jesus. The true love and compassion that every human being was made for and looks for. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of Christ. Today as we think about Mother's Day, I want to reflect that now through mothers. And this particular passage here reminds me of one side of mothering that can be very heartbreaking at times. Very heartbreaking. Let's go back to the start. You're a mother, you discover that you're pregnant and with excitement and anticipation you look forward to the birth with your husband or this baby that's about to come along. We wonder what it will be. 
will it be a boy, will it be a girl? And I know in this day and age, often they tell you before it even comes now, they give these baby reveal things. But anyway, will it be a boy or will it be a girl? The day draws near for our birth and the last month feels like an eternity. If you speak to most mothers, they say the last month is the longest month. We give birth to a precious child and we stand in awe again at God's creative genius in what he has done. God's the one who grants life. Here is this little person, little Max, only six weeks old, knitted together by God and made in his image in his mother's womb. The early years, as we saw there with Emily before, are made up of high dependency with our children. You just need to actually care for their every single need, nearly every single moment. They need mums for nearly everything in those early times. Yet, we make heaps of fun and joyful memories as we watch them grow and develop and it brings us much joy Uh, we see their little personalities beginning to emerge in the way that God has created them and we get tremendous moments of joy as we see the little characters develop I'll just share with you one little story of last night Eli Milburn came to me and he said I can speak Chinese so I said okay Eli speak some words to me so he spoke some Chinese words and then I responded to him like this I don't, I don't know a word of Chinese, okay? And Eli said, no, I don't know those Chinese words. <laughs> but just the joy and the memories that these kids give you, that in, as you see the little personalities develop, it's just, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. As a Christian mother then, we, we endeavour to nurture them in God's word. Uh, we teach them to treasure Jesus as our Lord and as our Saviour. We spend many hours praying for them and praying with them. We model for them what it is to be committed to God's community as a mother. We actually try and teach them this is, a, this is a high priority in our lives, that we treasure not only our family but the family God's placed us in, the church family as well. We see that's, a, that's a, an enormous part of our life. And we watch our children grow and they see kids and we see them develop and they bring back their Bible stories and they tell us what they learn and we treasure that, we see that, we love that. And we want to see them immersed in gospel influences as they grow at every stage and every age of their life. We actually want to see them gather really good friends who can influence them and keep confirming that Jesus is our loving Lord. We actually, we long for that. We hope for that. And then we watch our children then begin to transition, transition into teenage years, where they no longer, no longer think like a little child, but they're beginning to mature now. They probably think they mature way quicker than what they really have matured, but that's just how it goes. As a mother, we begin to realise that they know far more than what we thought they knew. They're good at hiding things from us as well. They just didn't let on to they just didn't let on to us what they did know about life. But now we're actually starting to see it. Still, though, as a mother, we're nurturing, we're loving, we're caring, and we're praying for them, modelling Jesus as much as we possibly can for them. And we're showing them as mothers what it is to say sorry when we've done something wrong. It's a valuable lesson that we as mothers can teach them. We're also showing them what it is to repent, to turn from sinful living as they're moving through this transitional stage of life. But sometimes, not with all children, but some at age 14, 15 or 16, and sometimes later in life you can see this take place, your son or daughter isn't the same person. They've actually started to go, go, grow cold to the things of Jesus. And they're beginning to show little interest in going to church. You meet one of their friends and you discover that this person isn't really a helpful influence in the life of your son or your daughter. 
In fact, this friend that you've met is probably having more influence of drawing them away from Jesus than drawing them towards Jesus. You try and have a conversation with your daughter about these things and she just doesn't want to talk about it. They're okay, Mum. They're not that bad. Look, you just don't really understand them, Mum. Just, it's okay. Just leave with me. And then one day, uh, you get onto your teenage son or daughter's social media account and you're horrified by what you see. You're horrified by where they are and you're horrified by what they're doing. You're shocked. You're bewildered. How did this happen? How did this just take place? Once again, you try and engage with your son or your daughter here, and, but it's only getting colder. He or she's got now zero interest in church and Jesus just doesn't even come onto the scene as the most important thing in this world. He or she now, now clearly tells you that as well. As a mother, your heart breaks. Your heart breaks at this stage. Now, I spoke to a mother a few months ago, Laurel and I did. Uh, we knew the life of their adult sons wasn't in a good place. And as we just asked about the, her sons, she within an instant just burst into tears. Just again reflecting the heartache that's just sitting just under the surface here of what's going on. It was just a vivid picture again. She was a mother who just longed to gather her sons, her brood, as a hen would gather the chicks, just to gather them to the safety of Christ. Her heart was breaking. Real pain. And it goes through seasons. Sometimes it's more intense than others, but it's an ache. It's an ache for a mother that sits there all the time. Now, we're here at Exchange. We have many families and friends here that have prodigal sons and daughters, we might name them who've wandered away from Christ, who've wandered away from the most glorious thing in this world that we can offer them. And I think it's often a mother who may feel that pain just a little bit more deeply when those situations take place. Perhaps it may be that daughter is able to talk to their mother a little bit more about life than the father. And maybe even the son, for that matter, might be able to talk to the mother a little bit more about life, perhaps, than the father. And outside of the church... Uh, we actually live in a society now which is like a fatherless generation. It's only the mother that really is on the scene sometimes. Sometimes you'll watch those high-profile court cases and you'll see some criminal go up and it's only the mother who turns up. It's the mother who tries to stay in there and hang in there with their wayward son or their wayward daughter. The father's nowhere to be found. He's left years ago. But the mothers, we think today, of the ones who had these prodigal sons or prodigal daughters who are aching, aching for their sons and daughters to come back home and to walk with Christ again. We want to stand with you today here at Exchange. We want to stand with you, mothers, and assure you that you are playing an incredibly vital role in influencing your wayward children or your wayward adult son or daughter. Doing that through the love and compassion that you show them in the midst of the pain that you feel for them when they're right in the middle of rejecting who Jesus is in their life. Have a look at this verse with me here in 1 Peter chapter 3. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if they do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. 
Now, you might say, Todd, he's addressing wives. Yeah, I know that. But there's a principle here. There's a principle that Peter's communicating. I think Peter would be very happy for us to say this. Mothers, towards your wayward son or daughter who doesn't obey the gospel, let your Christ-like love and compassion win them over as they see your pure and respectful conduct. Sometimes you can't say anything. It's all been too hard or too difficult. Sometimes you can't say anything. But it's your actions, it's your Christ-like love and compassion that can work through those challenging situations, as it were, to melt down some of those walls that have been built and created. It does that. I'm convinced that is one of the most powerful ways to actually win back some of those lost sons and daughters who are walking uh, the path of life on their own. Let them see Jesus' love and compassion flow out of you no matter what they're doing or what they're involved in. No matter what you're looking at on their social media account or maybe you've actually closed off the social media account because you can't bear to see what they're doing. Continue to show them love and compassion just as Jesus was showing love and compassion here in Matthew 23. Sometimes that's hard because sometimes the stuff they're getting into, you don't know how to say something because you think, am I condoning what they're doing? Am I approving of what they're doing? When you know what they're doing is outrightly sinful. Pray for God's wisdom here on how you can still love them and show their compassion in the middle of their crazy behaviour. And I'm sure that as you do that, God will use that beautifully to actually begin to win them back through that love and compassion that you show. Pray for God's wisdom to say, Lord, how do I come around my son and my daughter when they're living the way they are? Here's something to remember, mothers, in these very difficult days when you feel that ache or you feel that pain. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And the story of your son or daughter isn't over. In an instant, God in his miraculous and marvellous grace has a work and open up the eyes and they can see Jesus and be radically saved, gloriously saved and rescued. And remember this, Jesus knows your pain as well that you're feeling as a mother. He knows what it's like to want to gather your children together in him and they don't want to come. Jesus knows exactly what that's like. He hurts. He feels that pain. And Jesus weeps with you when you are weeping for your lost sons or daughters. He truly is. That's the marvellous mystery about Jesus Christ. He weeps with us. And church, vitally important that we would stand with our mothers today as they feel this pain, particularly on Mother's Day, can be more perhaps patently aware to them, just the challenge they feel when they know they have wayward sons or daughters. One of the best things that we can do as the church is to come alongside our mothers to listen to their story and even share tears together as we actually pray for their lost sons and daughters at this time. That's a wonderful source of encouragement we can do to actually come alongside our mothers and support them and encourage them. We have some single mothers here at Exchange who are in this boat. And not necessarily just single mothers, but others. But we need to get in that boat with them, as it were, and experience life with them. Maybe not as acutely as they experience it, but just hear their story and share that with them and pray for a move of God's spirit over the heart and life of their wayward son or daughter. They would bring them home. And they would know God's grace in that. 
So today we want to thank the Lord for mothers in this glorious, glorious role that God has given them, an often taken for granted role, a behind the scenes role. No one sees the mother getting up at two and three and four o'clock in the morning and going out again and again and again, perhaps for a child going through a fever or whatever. Very energy sapping. We don't want to take it for granted though. We want to honour and bless mothers and thank them for what God is doing in and through their life and the vital, vital role that they can have in influencing their children, even their lost ones at this point in time, to come home. Let's stop now. Let's pray for our mothers as we think about that. Father, thank you. Thank you today that we can just stop and reflect upon this passage here in Matthew 23 where we see Jesus crying out, longing to gather his people. Lord, today we want to reflect that same heart's cry through mothers. Maybe some are sitting here right now and they're feeling that pain even as we speak. Lord, a wayward son or a wayward daughter. God, we ask and pray, please fill these mothers with love and compassion today. Lord, when it's so hard to do that, I pray, grant them that grace to love and have compassion on their family. Father, help us as we would come around these mothers to, to love them and support them. Give us uh, sensitivity, Lord, to draw alongside them and to walk this journey with them, this journey of heartache and pain. Lord, petitioning and praying for their wayward son or their wayward daughter. God, that you would miraculously just open their eyes up, Lord. Open their eyes up to see the beauty of Jesus Christ, the most glorious person ever. God in the flesh, dying on a cross to rescue us. May there be, Lord, stories of grace. May there be stories of reconciliation. May there be stories of a prodigal son and a prodigal daughter returning home, Lord, and discovering that love and that truth. God, we ask and pray for those miracles to take place for every mother connected here with us at Exchange today. Please, Lord, we know you can do this in an instant we ask and pray today, Lord, please would you do that? Would you do that? Help us, Lord, to love our mothers, support them and encourage them today. Father, we ask that, we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.